Hi, this is Alaska Reed, and you're listening to Song Miner. Today's guest is Sadie Dupuy from Speedy Ortiz. The band just released a new record called Rabbit Rabbit, which I'm very psyched about because I love rabbits. I had an EP ages ago, it feels like now, called Big Bunny, so I love I love a rabbit music crossover. <laughs> I, ru- I almost said I rub. I love any rabbit collaboration. Okay, I'm done now with that. But anyways, so we discuss a song off of the record, Rabbit Rabbit, which was out September 1st. And that song is called Scabs. And I was very excited to speak to Sadie because when I was in high school and playing in bands in L.A., I just thought she was the coolest. I was very into a song off of the EP Real Hair. The song's called American Horror. And I think it was actually in my Learning to Drive playlist, which in retrospect was probably a bit rowdier than was safe. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, what's the fun in having like a bunch of quiet, calm music for driving? You should have things that make you feel like you're in a action film or at least that's how I felt then now when I drive with my teenage sisters I think my philosophy's changed a bit yeah I just want to be able to say slow the fuck down and not have to scream it but you know different different times (laughs) anyways uh here's my discussion with Sadie from Speedy Ortiz and yeah she's wonderful so here we go Yeah, it's, it's fun to have you on here. Where do you live? I live in Philly. You live in Philly. Okay. Yep. I live in Philly. I've been uh, dog-sitting for a friend for the past couple days, and the, the other dog just left, and now my dog is uh, a little depressed, <laughs> so she may pop in at some point, like, howling for attention, because she misses her buddy already. Is she the one that you put pictures of up online? She's so I cute. I have two, but there's one There's one who's a little more internet notorious, and that's Lavender. Okay, Lavender. But that's not the one that misses the, the No, friend. she's the one who misses... They, oh. I was dog-sitting a dog named Scully. Scully. Scully just okay. went home with her dad, so... Oh, that's pretty now, cute. Yeah, Lavender's lonely. She's skulking around. <laughs> she may pop in. We'll see. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I have I'm, treats to quiet her when she does, so... Oh, you've got the, is it the, like, Himalayan dog cheese? She does like those. (laughs) Like, now I'm doing exactly what I said I would do, like, go off the mic and run around the room. She's got these little cheese ball, tiny little cheese treat. Tricky trainers. Yep. That's true. She loves this shit. (laughs) I was at, I was out last night, and I saw some friends, and they just got a a dog. And um, the couple, the, the guy, he was saying that as a gift to, our friend Isabel, he had gotten like a 23 and me for dogs. Yeah. And I've uh, done this too. And, but half of the report just said super mutt. Like they oh, didn't, they didn't explain. They just said super mutt. And I was like, actually, that's kind of a sick band name. That is a great band name, yeah. but not helpful in determining <laughs> the dog. dog's genetic yeah. profile or health or behavior. <laughs> when we did one for Lavender, I thought she was just a pit bull. But she's tiny and she's got weird behavior, um, not befitting a, a pit bull. 
And when we did the DNA test, it said Pitbull Border Collie. So oh. that's why she's howling. That's why she's stalking. She, she sees another dog. She just wants to play. But she stalks like she's a fucking lion hunting a Yeah, gazelle. that makes sense. Um, it's all Border Collie stuff. Like a herding dog. She herds she, us if we yeah. try to sit at the dining room table. She wants everyone on the couch. So if I have friends over, we're trying to eat a meal. We have to move to the couch. Yeah. The sheep. The sheep that she keeps. She knows. Yeah. We're all sheeple. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, thank you for sending the demo. It was really cool. And also, I really enjoyed the post office version. I know. And I was like, I don't know if I have anything that is like a truly voice memo stage. But boy, did I ever. It's like... demo itself is really polished i i was shocked i mean because i listened to the version that's out now but i was shocked that that was a demo yeah i get i try to get pretty close with the arrangements obviously it's missing 
all the parts my bandmate Andy wrote on guitar and keyboards and um, Audrey, our bassist, changed the part up quite a bit and the drums are, you know, played and adjusted by a human, which is Joey. Yeah. Um, but those that was everything I got through when I did my first round of the demo. Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting to hear because at first I was like, I was like, this is this a demo? <laughs> um, Sometimes I, just, I laugh at myself when I, I listen back to the demo and I'm like, I spent how much money like redoing all of this with nice microphones? I mean, but no, it's it's you gotta you gotta have a blueprint. It's hard if you're a control freak like me. The second that you start recording your demo, at least for me, and then you take it into a studio setting like that amount of time is kind of hellish because I'm so afraid of getting demoitis and I get really angry about just what you say like I'll, I'll get really into it and then I'll do something that's like finished and then for some reason I'll feel like I need to go into another setting I think I just feel really confused in that zone so I mostly when I'm doing stuff I like if I want to hear my song again I just have to physically play it like I get afraid of putting too much production on it I feel like for me the production is like this part is the songwriting and that's why the demo is like has all this stuff because I if I you know you, you hear my little voice demo I did in the post office where I'm like just like barely you know humming notes quietly hoping no one notices me while I'm standing in line um but I'm doing that as like a placeholder for stuff I'm hearing in my head that's that's far expanded from that like I kind of know what I want the drums to do or what I want yeah. the bass to do um so in doing the demo and in doing the pre-production, all of that arrangement stuff is like part of the song to to me. I know not every songwriter feels that way. Um, and it's interesting, to, of course, to hear d different people's perspectives on what constitutes songwriting and composing for them. But for me, it's like all of that stuff, all the <laughs> all the sprinkles and ephemera that are part of production are like part of the composition for me. So I, it's like demo white is like guess but it's to me it's like writing with sheet music or something mm. and then trying to um do justice to the music as composed so when you started like the beginning of your you know career or whatever you want to call it as a songwriter were you always writing with the production in mind or is that something that happened over time it came pretty early i started I started writing songs when I was like six or seven. So at that time, I w did not know how to record. It was like <laughs> I have a you know a little keyboard and I am putting some chords underneath like a children's book or something like that. I wasn't um, recording until I was around thirteen, and I had just started playing guitar like a year before that. Um, the Windows computers at that time had a tiny little external microphone and a lot of people would record into like Winamp, just like awful one, you know, it's so blown out. I think you, you have a 60 second max time limit on it, but you could play a guitar and sing into it and it sounds like you're leaving a voicemail. Um, and then my, my mom got me the Tascam four track recorder. And at that time I was like, let me get a bass. I'll, you know, I would do a couple layers of guitars and bass and vocals, and that was how I started songwriting. And I also was really lucky that I went to a summer camp where I later worked, but they had all kinds of events for kids and bands. So they would do rock concerts and all the different camper bands would like form and dramatically break up four days later. <laughs> um, and they had a recording studio as well. So I got to use Pro Tools 
pretty shortly after I first started writing songs. So I Wow. Yeah. So what that's like preteen, right? You're using It's what now? You're like a preteen at that point, right? No, I was like 13, 14. Okay. So yeah. that yeah, that's really young to have you know, literacy on a on a laptop program. I didn't I I definitely did not have the literacy on it until maybe like I started doing stuff in GarageBand when I was like 16. Okay. Um, when I was doing stuff in Pro Tools, it was like a counselor is helming the session and I'm just saying like, you know, I didn't know how to articulate what I wanted, but yeah. but getting to do that a lot earlier than a lot of my peers, I think helped me get to that literacy a little bit earlier, which yeah. has been helpful. Yeah, I was doing GarageBand stuff and I would experiment with that, but for some reason it took me a very long time to make the jump to Logic because people don't really make you feel like those two programs are similar. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a stigma on GarageBand, just like there's a stigma on a microcorg, which is a lot of people's first sense. Yeah. Now there's a stigma on like the Sound Toys Crystallizer, which is a lot of people's first weird plug-in. I don't really like any of that stuff. And I'm always trying to use like old or inappropriate <laughs> equipment. in Like I have sitting next to me a little... Um, I keep, we just talked about another person going off the mic and going all around the room and now I'm doing it to fetch things. I have this little JBL. Um, it's like the first gen iPod speaker. It's just like one round. Yeah, you put it in there and it charges. I, like, I think this has sparked a fire. It's so ancient, but it's really fun for reamping stuff because it's like a bad speaker oh, and you can't make that effect in your plugins or in like a cool amp in your room. So yeah. I'm always using stuff like this to, for production. So I don't subscribe to the like bad equipment. I love I love high end equipment. I'm for whatever reason doing this into a very nice microphone, but I also love the you know it's all kind of the same. It's like what what can you use with your different tools or what yeah. can you make out of your different tools? So don't let anyone garage band shame you listeners. I was recording myself on GarageBand. I was doing demos, but I would go to these very weird sessions with like random dudes because I was like, they are able to record on Pro Tools or Logic. Like it's I like thought it was thing. like a magic thing. Yeah. And then the Pro Tools I, does have some pretty sick shortcuts, but it's like the same thing. Yeah. And then I realized later and I, I started learning Logic because that's what I work on. And I was like, oh. I use Logic too. Why did I? Except people are kind of also... I feel like everyone I meet is very Ableton-based. I learned Ableton at some point as well um, for live performance. And I think yeah. a lot of people... I mean, Ableton is like... It's like laid out in a way that fits with what a lot of contemporary music does, which is like repetition and loops and mm. the ability to layer things live. Um, and I really respect people who are good with that and can create those kinds of things live or can create you know, use one loop and one chord progression to create a million things that all somehow are building and interacting in this amazing way. My music is so like measure of seven, measure of nine, measure of 13. We're in four, four for a second. Like it's just, I really am thinking in terms of tape and linearity and mm. like sheet music and I, to do stuff on that grid um, or like with boxes, it's hard. This doesn't like work because yeah. they don't want you to do that. They they don't want they don't understand. I have that a bit with tuning. Like if yeah. I use one of those the tuners that's programmed to do standard, I'm always tuning to a different tuning, and so then they're telling me it's wrong. 
like they're like it's red if you're if you're going down to sea or something and yeah that's a bit annoying yeah so okay this is interesting that you say this thing about like you are thinking a lot about sheet music do you know how to read music were you formerly trained when you were yeah i did um (laughs) my dark dark past i did children's choral music for a very long time and i toured with the children's choir and when i was first learning guitar i was already kind of entrenched in this um it's like the children's choir was directed by like the guy you see playing this in the movies you know what i mean he was very you would get shamed if you were singing the wrong note it's a lot of like the alto twos are clashing with the alto ones who are clashing with the soprano twos. And, um, if one person is slightly off from that clashing note, it's a, it's hell. Um, and you're going to be on the spot for it. So there was a very rigorous and like fear based musical education for me as part of that. But I think it also ingrained in me at that that age that's so formative you know I joined the children's choir I was like 11 or 12 and I stayed in it till I was 16 so I'm learning about all this you know Russian contemporary classical music and it's all weird time signatures and it's all sustained clashing notes and I feel like getting into rock bands and playing guitar around the same time I saw some of that reflected in the like punk and Mm. you know post-hardcore and even like the new metal bands that I was getting into so I think the I can't erase the like children's choral music part of my writing brain. Um, yeah. And so I'm not writing stuff. I, I write stuff on sheet music if it's like a synth part that I can't, you know, I'm not going to you want someone else to play. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mostly am writing by ear or by memory. Um, but I'm still kind of thinking in that linear, mm. you know, tape, tape based way, even though I'm uh, in the box for recording mostly you know i did some background reading and i saw that you have two poetry books and that you you know have this whole uh, (laughs) oh don't worry about it okay cool i think because i found out that you had this this history in in so much stuff that involves like literature and writing i thought that some of the wonkiness with your songs was because you were just letting the lyrics guide you and you're like i will not no, Surrender. it's like totally opposite. I do all the music first and the lyrics are like the last thing. That's why also your post office demo <laughs> was a surprise to so me. So funny. Yeah, because I was like, oh, I thought she would be having the lyrics immediately and, and you're just humming a melody from thin air, which is yeah, is so cool. I don't work like that. I write all the music first. I never would just sing it. I would just have to have an instrument paired I know, with because it, what, my problem is always that it comes... If I have a good idea, it comes to me at a very inconvenient time. So I'm in the shower and I have to run out of the shower and like, did I bring my phone into the bathroom to do, you know, hum something in or I'm driving and is it safe to like open the voice notes app? No, it's not. Don't do that while you're driving, (laughs) listeners. Um, I always have idea. I I feel like for a lot of people, the ideas come intrusively when you like cannot be bothered with them, but if they're good enough, you got to figure out a way to get them down. Um, so it's not always like, I think in the case of the one I sent you, that was like the vocal melody or maybe yeah. it's even the keyboard part. I can't remember. But sometimes it's like, oh, I have a cool idea for a bass part or a drum part. And then mm. there's a, uh, an awful voice memo of me like beatboxing or like, I'm not, I'm not beatboxing, you know, but doing like vocal drums, yeah. hitting the steering wheel. Um, yeah, I get a lot of those kinds of ideas at the worst times. 
So you don't let them pass you by? If it's good, I try not to. And then sometimes I go back and I'm like, this is incoherent. What? <laughs> if I don't, yeah. Do you ever have that moment, though, where you're like, you're falling asleep, something pops into your head and you say, I'm going to remember it in the morning and then you wake you never up, do. you have no memory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never do. And and my good, bad problem is I don't keep my phone near my bed when I go to sleep. So yeah, those are just got lost to history. Yeah. I have those too. Okay, but you do, you will in other settings go out of your way to record something because I really just let that pass me by and, and sometimes I'm really disappointed in myself, but... Um, I feel like I had to really change my writing methods when we started to tour so much. And it's because I was always used to doing writing at the computer where mm. I'm like making a demo as I write it. Yeah. And then I'd be on tour for 10 months of the year and I would have ideas and I'd be like, I'm not going to be able to sit at my desk until, you know, it's February. I can't, I can't work on this till October. Um, so I had to start getting into the voice notes app. And what I kind of do when I have an extended period of time where I know I'd like to be working on writing and demoing and pre-production, I'll just go through the past, you know, 500 voice memos and sort of take notes like it's in this key, it's this BPM. Mm. And I can kind of, you know, a lot of them are like seven seconds long. Um, So it's kind of like I haven't ever worked in a writer's room. I'm not a good, I'm a bad collaborator. I like to yeah. work by myself, but I do kind of view all of these little hooks that I've recorded over the past three years or whatever, when I go to work on a record, it's like a writer's room of a lot of different me's. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this hook will work with this bass line I hummed a year and a half after that. And I kind of oh. assemble them that way. That's crazy. I know. No, I like it. It's just so... I haven't heard anyone that works like that. I'm not alone. I know other people do this too. Um, but yeah, it's very much like a, it's like a habit by necessity because I was touring so much. It's wild to me that you combine things that when you were writing them, you didn't think it was going to be related to that other thing. Like that is, that's the really cool part of it to me. But I feel like it's the same as like, you know, you get a, a writer's room together to work on a song and one person contributed like, Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> like some goofy hook and that's all they did on the song but they're one of the 12 writers yeah it's uh, it's just me doing the same thing but with myself over time <laughs> it makes me feel like um yeah you have to really know your your shit in a way because you're also isolating instruments like even you being like oh i have this great idea for a bass line i know and then of course i listen back to it i might not interpret it that way two years later so yeah like it's loose yeah intention is but yeah and and it's not to say I do all my writing that way I do a lot of um I really like to give myself constraints and I Mm. will often say you have one hour to just write something um and it might be that I'm taking the eight second voice memo and trying to build from that but it might be I'm doing just you know take one hour and see what happens um and I do a lot of, of writing that way too so it's not entirely that I'm copying and pasting and mashing up things from across time and space it's sometimes just I sit in the room with a keyboard for 20 minutes and see what you know where'd I get (laughs) I was gonna ask you actually you know your thing about talking about constraints what's your relationship with that versus limiting yourself or blocking yourself off from certain things do you find that there's a 
difference between those two things? Do you get that confused? I'm, t- I'm speaking from a personal experience because I get confused sometimes in terms of I'll be writing something and I'll want it to sound a certain way and it'll go into another direction, but then I will actively block myself from going in that direction. And sometimes, you know, that's both positive and negative. I don't think I... I always feel comfortable with the decisions I make in terms of limiting myself um, with a theme or with the way I'm writing something or if it sounds like in my head too catchy and I'm worried it's cliche. And yeah, I just want to hear what you think about the, the difference between those two things, like using constraints as an exercise and then it also at the same time maybe being, I don't want to, detrimental is maybe too strong a word, but... Um, I feel like when I say constraint, I mean like a time constraint that's or like mean. a spatial constraint where I'll be like, I'm going to write on my back porch today because I never write out there. Let's see if it's different. I'm going to write using... I One of the first songs I did for this album, which we didn't wind up um, including on it, but I was listening through the demos to see like what would be helpful to send you um, that isn't like giving you a demo of something unreleased, which, you know... Uh, but there's one where it's just like the my I was getting cool microphone feedback from like a little yeah. portable setup, and I was like, "Cool, I'm gonna record a bunch of this and layer it." Like, I it's not like um I'm not constraining myself to say like, "Don't write about this, don't go in this genre direction." The constraint is like, give yourself this much time and see what happens. Maybe in a different space. I I did a bunch of like, like prompts is maybe a better term. Mm. Um, Something I did on this record that was a new process for me was I tried to use color a lot. I, I don't have synesthesia or anything, but I do love color and I feel mm. um, you could see my, you know, very colorful room. Um, whole house I like it. Like yeah, the paint. So I would wake up in the morning when I was kind of deep in the pre-production phase and I would say the first color I thought of is like orange. I'm going to try to work orange today and I would dress in orange and I'd you know put on an orange eyeshadow or something and then I'd sort of sit and look I went Google has this um feature where you can search through art in their like archives that by color so I'd just Mm. look at a bunch of orange things and then sort of sit and think like how can this inspire the pre-production like what do orange drums sound like what's like an orange you know synth tone this is there's no right answer or definition, but it's like a way to get you thinking about your choices in in a different way that was new for me and so like fun and interesting for me. Um, yeah, that's cool. So when I say constraint, I more mean like a prompt. Like mm-hmm. I and and I've been writing songs, you know. I said like if I've, if I've been doing it since I was six, that's since 1994. Like I got to figure out ways to try different things, and so introducing prompts and constraints I think is a a cool way to do that okay so I do have two questions for you and I guess the first one because you were talking about I want to write a song on a back on my back porch I don't even Um, know if I did that but that was just like an example no but do you find that place in general and this can be as micro or macro as you want it to be like but do you find that it does change your writing and because I often think about um this idea I guess I grew up around a lot of novelists and a lot of people talk about regional writing as being a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always curious because I never really learned about that 
idea of regional writing in school like for some reason I don't know what maybe I didn't have great English classes all kinds of writing we don't learn about in school (laughs) yeah I don't know so even in college people were very you know shied away from that but it was a big part of my life I grew up in Montana but I I was born in Michigan and my parents sort of moved west when I was younger and then we sort of kind of moved to LA for a bit so all over all over but mostly more west my dad was always a fan of, of, you know, regional writers and stuff, but he said it was, like, kind of a dirty thing. Like, people considered it, like, uh, da, da, da. I feel um, like, I wonder if that's a difference, like, poets are not that way at all. And poets are, you know, always, like, well, maybe they are to some extent, but I feel like poetry lovers are very quick to say, like, I love the Black Mountain poets, and I love the New York School poets, and I love the, um, yeah. Maybe there's I mean, l- less rule. I don't know. You would know as the poet, but do you find... It's th- not a question I've thought about a ton, but... Um, what's your, yeah, what's your relationship with geography, even if it's as simple as the other room in your house or mm-hmm. the place where you grew up? Because you're from... Yeah, I moved around a little bit too. Um, yeah. I first grew up in New York City and then my mom lives in rural Connecticut, like okay. Northwest corner. Um, like, like it's rural to an extent that a bear... Um, broke through her driveway door uh, recently. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. Yeah, she put it back together with um, packing tape. So uh, these are very, very different locations. I've lived a lot of different places as an adult. Um, I went back to New York for a little bit. I lived in Boston. I went to Austin, Texas. I went to Western Mass. I've been in Philly now for a while. And I do think as a as a lyricist and as a poet and as, you know, whatever other writing projects I work on, you have to include your surroundings in, or it's very hard not to include your surroundings in what you're working on. So there's tons of Philly on this record because I've lived here for seven years now. Um, Wow, okay. I like to be, I love being at home. I'm I'm a cancer. Uh, Home is also very distracting. So sometimes I, have to take home out of the equation to get something finished. And in the case mm. of this record, I did most of the pre-production at home, maybe like three, I did three weeks straight, just like at home sitting where I'm talking to you right now. Um, and I'd you know lock myself in the room for 12 hours and get, get you know, do the track like the one I sent you. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, ah, I think I need some more songs. And I think I've done all the ideas I can do sitting in this room. So I got it like a, like a rental place in North, or I guess it's right on the Virginia, North Carolina border um, in the winter. So it was like winter on a river, very different in the woods um, and in the South, very different vibe than than Philly. And I felt like that was really helpful to kind of finish out what I was working on and get some distance and come up with some different ideas. And yeah, um, yeah. sit in my car outside of a coffee shop and see what I can write from, from there rather than, you know in my local post office. (laughs) That's really cool that you do that because I feel like, again, with this limitation thing I keep talking about, sometimes I have those ideas and then I just, I don't, I don't let myself go there. I don't indulge in that. And I know that makes somebody a better artist in a way when they do that. Um, it's not, it's, a, it's not a sad you, thing. You know? I guess it's There's, just le- yeah. learning. Yeah, it's just learning, really. And who's to say this will be my process in five years? Like, it's just, you know, 
you make the best of the tools you have at, at the time you're working on things. And yeah, yeah, that's cool. So okay, rabbit, rabbit. Yeah. I really like your because I had a EP. I don't know. I want to say three years ago now called Big Bunny, and now Big this Bunny? is the, yeah Big Bunny. Love it. And now this is the year of the rabbit. There's so many rabbit albums out this year. I guess that's why. Yeah, it's uh, the year of the rabbit. So I was pretty excited to see, to see that was the title. So I was combing through your lyrics, and I was thinking a lot about personal narrative, and I I would be curious to know what your relationship is with that because you know sometimes you read other people's lyrics, and you can tell me if you don't want to answer this. But you read other people's lyrics and you can really, you're like, oh, the veil between what actually happened and the lyric and the story you're telling in the lyrics is it's very thin, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have that with my songs too. But then with your songs, I was seeing that there, there are definitely a lot like that. But then there's a lot that are just more, they're still very personal, but they're still very open and less, um, it, it doesn't really dictate maybe, I guess, a personal story in the same way like I think you have a really unique language and I'm not saying unique in a bad way um I'm saying that in a really cool way like reading your lyrics back to back I, I started to see something I don't really know what it is but I, I'd be curious to just have you speak about that a bit yeah I feel like with a lot of the creative projects I work on. I remember an old bandmate telling me um, in the in a band I was in way before Speedy because uh, I had done some visual art and had taken some class. You know, my mom's an artist and I had grown up doing some drawing and painting and stuff. Mm. Um, but I never wanted to do our album art. And he was saying like, when you look at like we both are obsessed with pavement. Okay, um, I love pavement. I still obsessed, you know. Love, yeah. love pavement. Uh grateful to now like know know them in real life. It's crazy. But I, this is long ago when I did not ever think I would meet pavement. Um looking at their album covers, there's like you you look at one and you just know that's a pavement cover mm. even when it's not by the same art, it's not by Steve Malcolmus, you know, uh you just know there's like a there's like a style that carries across them. And he was saying this to say, like, you should do our album artwork because when people can see that, you know, it's one kind of thing and they're, they're drawn in immediately because they recognize the image or they recognize the, um, the aesthetic, you know, yeah. through line. And so I didn't do it in that band. But when I started Speedy, I was like, I will do all the artwork. Um, and I have. And it was sort of because of getting that speech. And I feel like I, I've applied that to my guitar playing if I'm trying to sound like anybody, it's like a better version of what I did the last time. I'm very much trying to play in my own style that, that has a through line to what I've done before. And I think as a, as a lyricist too, um, I'm thinking about what I've done in the past and whether I can expand on that, but maintain my own, um, a voice that sounds like me. So yeah, I do think, you know, I've been writing lyrics for, for a lot of people write a you know their first song when they're like 22 years old and it's beautiful um, and they don't have all those hang-ups of already having been writing songs since they were like six years old. Mm. So I think sometimes it's really hard for me to do something that is more literal or accessible or um, 
even like repetitive just because I'm like, well, I've been doing this for so long. I got to like surprise myself. I got to yeah. keep myself engaged. I um, like that a lot. So I think part of it is like trying to keep myself entertained and surprised at what I'll do next. Um, and so I do very much love um, confessional poets and mm. I love auto fiction. I love, um, you know, weird memoir Um and I think those genres are very impactful on my songwriting. So it, every song I can pretty much say, like, I can give you a very, you know, two, three sentence response. Like, yeah, this is what directly what this is about in my own narrative. Um, it's not going to be nearly as interesting as the way I, I wrote it in the song. Or it can be, you know, yes, you know, I've worked in journalism. So I can say, yes, here are the, you know, here's the three to four sentence thing I was observing in the news that week that hmm. infuriated me enough to write the song, but it's not going to be as interesting to report it that way as yeah. uh, to do it in, in lyric form. Yeah, I think I think what I'm trying to say is, is I read it and I see the personal and I see your person in it, you know, obviously not knowing you, but what I imagine. And but I don't. I've showed you my dog treats. You know me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the dog treats and the herbs. Um, I see all all that, but I it's not based on anything else I've looked at before, and I think that's really cool because it's like a new language where I don't have the full translation. I guess nobody ever has the full translation of anything, but I I like that feeling, and I like what you're saying too about the guitar, your guitar language, because that's a really big thing for me. Um, I, I think I said in this interview, which I, I hope they take out because I know that there's really big Lord of the Rings fans, but I was like, <laughs> I was trying to, to express to somebody um, how I felt like I was, I was like Tolkien doing Elvish on my guitar, which is very epic, but I love that. <laughs> I do. I do feel like I have that weird relationship that I can't really talk to anybody else about as much with my instrument and and with the sound and that I do keep trying to build on that each record um which is an interesting thing because I do think that I think a lot of really great musicians have a kind of personal dialogue with their instrument or their writing but then I also think a lot of people don't have that I don't know I think I yeah everyone approaches their same thing we said before I, I guess everyone approaches their tools in different ways at different times and yeah um, I mean some of my friends who are like the best players I know my friend uh, Neil Daniels is a session drummer I met him when we were on tour with Liz Fair and he can like he could be you know shredding the entire song but he's been doing a lot of like drum tutorial posts lately where he's like the way that I get these crazy jobs is I lay back like there's just like one snare hit that yeah. measure and but I put all that feeling in that one hit. That's um, a big thing. That's so a there's big definitely thing for you know, a million ways to approach it, and some of the most accomplished people play the simplest things. Um, I'm always trying to trip myself up for some reason, so I make it more and more complicated for myself every year. Who knows if that'll be true next? Is year. your main instrument guitar? Because I know you mentioned having a synth when you were younger. Um, I started my first instrument was piano. And keyboard um but I started playing guitar when I was 12 and that kind of became my primary instrument mm. um, from that point on so I at this point I can like you know if someone says play this you know chord I could keep up but I can't 
um, I can't really, I have to practice things quite a lot of times to be able to record them for like a synth solo or something. I see. I see. Like to, to such an extent that I'm like, can everyone leave the studio and I will just do this because I cannot watch you. I cannot let you all see me shreds video on this keyboard. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. I, this is going to gross me out, but you have heavy riffage under your under intense <laughs> lyrics, which I really like. And I was wondering what sort of comes first or does it change a lot? Yeah, talk it's to been me, talk to me about that. Yeah. In time. On this record, I did all the drum and bass writing first. So I knew what the chord progressions were and like what the rhythm was. And then I did, I didn't like write the electric guitar parts first. They came like. You didn't, you okay. Know. First comes the stupid humming that is nonsense that, that I sent you a voice memo of. And then I programmed some bass and drums that I think could accommodate that. And then I'll either do some keyboards or some guitars. Um, so the problem, <laughs> the problem there is I write pretty tricky guitar parts and I do yeah, it to myself. Do. And then I'm like, and then I write a vocal part that's like not the same rhythm and it, maybe it clashes with the guitar part. And I'm like, but that's fine. I'm doing them separately. And then a year later, you're like, oh, I have to take this on tour and I do not have the like limb independence <laughs> to separate my vocal cords from my arms right now. Um, so I've like just gotten to the point where I can sing all the stuff and play it but i sure don't make it easy for myself that's so funny yeah because i did wonder that because um yeah usually what you're playing under your singing is something that people aren't gonna do at the same time i know it's so annoying and and what's so always so funny to me and my bandmates have this too when they have to do the backup vocals the like the hardest parts that are the most notes and the weirdest rhythms and moving around the most for whatever reason, singing under that is like fine. Mm. They could be unrelated rhythms, but I can get it pretty quickly. If I'm like half note, half note, half note, and the vocal is slightly, <laughs> no one could see me, you know, imaginary fretting, but imagine I'm playing something really simple, everyone. And then the vocal is just like a little different from that. That is what's really, it's like the simpler the guitar part, the harder time I have. <laughs> Can't explain that. Because if your vocal's not following it exactly, like you feel like the simple guitar part is so basic, like dun, 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 like you just want to move up with it. But if the part is like the hardest guitar part I've ever written and the vocal is also very complicated, those are fine. I feel like that must be some ADHD thing that I just don't fully know. But yeah, it's it has been, it has been making me crack up at myself a lot in rehearsing this record. <laughs> so I'm like, why is every other part of this song where I am playing so fast and so all over the place, fine. And then you're just like kicking me in the butt. My, my boyfriend showed me this video. He really loves, I think it's, I think it's written by this Scottish comedian called Armando Anucci. My boyfriend's English. So he's very into that thing. And, uh, the the whole concept of it is is this dad pulls up in this car and it's like tells his family he's like get in I I I found the craziest thing out and the family all gets in and he starts driving really erratically and you see the you know speedometer go and then they're like stop 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 and he's like no trust me and he hits like some insane he hits like a hundred or something I don't know 
And uh, I guess it's in kilometers, so I'm not going to know the numbers. But he hits some high number, and then everything becomes wonderful, and it's like... And, and beautiful and you avoid all accidents but like getting there is really dangerous but the whole concept of the sketch is like you can you just overdo it to this perfect amount that it becomes perfect but anything above or under is bad oh i like this so the family is like eating a ton of fish and chips they're like no if you eat like 11 and a half then it's just right you'll feel full but not too full and completely satisfied but they're okay. like if you eat five you'll feel completely sick and if you know it's just really funny because it's um Maybe it's that way with your guitar parts. The really I hard think it ones. Might be. Yeah. You get to the perfect like point. Yeah, and now anything less shreddy than that. Yeah. I fail. You have to get to the perfect level of shred and, <laughs> and vocal shred as well. Yeah. We'll just go down this rabbit hole. No pun intended, as you're this is for an older song, but I was just looking through songs. But, okay, for example, something like The Graduates. I was looking on Genius or whatever and looking at your um, Oh, yeah. What's that's so funny is I didn't even write the... Well, I mean, I did. It was, like, through an... It, they had... Genius, like, went editorial for a second, and they got <laughs> oh. Sasha Frere Jones to be their editor. <laughs> so that's the Sasha Frere Jones interview but then they just like put in there because i was like oh wow you know she... i know it looks like i like sat there and did it really thoughtfully i like i like i kind of wish it said like this was an interview <laughs> she's not an insane person who <laughs> control freak who feels the need to annotate all this stuff um, honestly i would do that if i was allowed so i, you are, I thought I'm it was sure cool you are allowed probably I am. am i telling you something you shouldn't know you i know now i'm like oh should i go and, and correct all the things that bother me on genius yeah, this is how you know. Like, I haven't even gone... There's things on there that are wrong, like lyrics, and I have not gone to fix them. So that's how you know this was an interview. Okay. I assume but that you have some... No, you, you were... Okay, you were talking about the graduate song, and you were saying, oh, I'm so sick of songs about whiskey and cigarettes, which I really <laughs> liked. But then you do talk about cigarettes in, in one of the verses, and you... But you say it never gets to my lips, like I never smoke it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting because I am often trying to write songs that I don't want to say feel need to be written. Like it's not a need, but it's more I see that there's this gap or this space. And, I'm, and I say, I'm going to write a song for this space because I think there needs to be a song like this because there hasn't been one before. And I wonder, is that something that you consciously think about when it comes to lyrical content? It's like the opposite. It's, it's, it's a, opposite. like a similar but opposite impulse where I'm, I listen to a ton of music and I, even if I don't like something, if I put on a record, I always finish it and I feel like there's value in listening to something I hate because I can figure out what about it is bothering me, how to not do that in my own work. Even, even books, like I'll start at, you know, a very long novel and I know I hate it 10 pages in and I'm still going to finish it. And I wow. feel like there's some, you know, there's like value in sitting through the discomfort of a piece of art. As long as it's not like a, like I'm not going to read a book that offends me or you yeah. know, people I love. Um, but th that I just like aesthetically don't like, I kind of want to know more about why, why don't I like that? Um, maybe there's something I learned about myself and it helps me recontextualize why I don't like that. Maybe it's just like, uh, now I'm realizing it's that I'm sick of seeing this specific trope or this specific gesture. Um, so this will be something I will avoid in my own work. And sometimes it gets to a point where I'm like, 
I am so fucking sick of songs about sick, using cigarettes to talk about love. How do I, how do I satirize that? How do I use my space to talk shit? Um, so that I do find myself doing that a lot, taking note, not of where there is a lack, but where there is an overabundance. And I, I will use my, my brief time on this recorded earth to, to talk shit <laughs> about other songwriters and artists. <laughs> without ever naming names but yeah i like that i think i think it's yeah i'm always looking but there's for like a playfulness to that right and i think part of that comes from i feel like poets do this more so than other artists i know but every poet i know feels like they're in conversation with like another dead poet and poets mm. are always doing you know their poem is after eileen miles or after morgan parker these are living poets but um Poets are just like, everything is up for grabs. Everything is in conversation with everything. The poem could be 10 lines long and the annotations for it are two pages long. Um, and I feel like songwriters aren't as con conscious or vocal about that. So even if I'm talking shit on other songwriters, it's from a place of like community and like wanting love and like wanting to engage with this world of art that we all find ourselves in. So yeah. um, it's very lighthearted, jokey shit talk. If I say that there's too many cigarettes and songs. I like it. No, because I'm always kind of trying to find the space to the side that that's, you know, edging toward the, the thing, but not. Or I do feel like I'm in discourse a lot with with dude songs. Like I have mm. this I have this thing and I, I I'm, I'll ask you about this and I can see take your temperature. But Ooh. OK, for, God, you give me so many anticipatory worries here like no this no later and this later i okay the other this one is like is i have gossip for you but i'll tell you later style. don't worry it will all come the other one's really chill um this one this one's something i've been trying to figure out how to articulate i guess in my own stuff a lot but i do feel that often i'm writing songs as an answer to dude songs and i was wondering you know, talking about your song, uh, I'm I'm just going really deep because I was just looking through. I went through all a lot of lyrics, but uh, thinking about your song, right. like "Buck Me Off." Mm -hmm. There's that line that says, "Act." I hope this is right. This is also from Genius or whatever. Oh, yeah, act as a, <laughs> act as a centerfold for somebody's longing or someone's longing. I feel like I keep trying to write the same song of like, don't put that on me. Like, don't this thing that women sometimes, I guess, come up against where it's like people are treating you like this fantasy. And then at the same time, you're both accepting and rejecting it. And you don't really know how to treat that creature of what that is. And I feel like I'm tr always trying to approach that topic in my songwriting and I don't necessarily talk about it in press things but because I'm so sick of the basic love song in a way and I guess everything sort of boils down to love but I do write a lot of songs that are sort of me examining that because sometimes I think there's a lack of that of talking about that uh, especially because there's just a lot of and I'm not doing this as like a very uh, like angry girl thing, but I do think that there's a lot of like very indulgent male persona songs. Yeah. And I and I try and write I try and push back against that in a subtle way. I don't even know. I, I'm still I'm writing songs to try and articulate it and, and understand it myself, but I wanted to know if I read 
this song of yours wrong and if maybe there's some elements of that in it. No, I think that's part of it. And I think there's a lot of stuff about my own perspective on myself and yeah, philosophy or understanding of my own gender that I, I am continuing to work through in songs like 20 years in, you know? I feel like um, if you talk about the like legacy of like dude, dude rock songs, like that, yeah. that is 100% what I grew up listening to and like what I thought I was writing for so many of the earliest years I was writing songs. I really, yeah. um, I feel like the first time I write a song where I said like explicitly say like, I am not a girl is like so early. And I, I didn't have an understanding of like gender as a spectrum at that time, but I certainly just like felt very disconnected from the like gender I have been assigned. And I feel like weirdly it was, gaining some prominence in the the rock space where so mm. many of my peers were cis men and I'd get on a tour and there'd be 12 people on the tour and I was the only person who was not a cis man mm. um, and suddenly encountering the, the misogyny that is, was more so at the time and more so before that, but you know, it still is present, of course, um, the misogyny in rock music uh, suddenly like wait for me but like I don't even know if that's like who I am um, yeah. and I like in this very backwards way it was the, the the perceptions of me and the misogyny that was foisted on me that like made me identify even with like femininity or womanhood for kind of like the first time I was like it doesn't matter how I feel about myself this is still being thrown at me so now I I'm like finding my way just not to say I didn't identify with feminism beforehand, but I feel like um, being in that public eye and, and experiencing some of that myself threw me further um, towards those kinds of like philosophies and understandings. And it's like something I'm still working out in, in my songwriting, like this record that's coming out now, um, the, ver the first song, the record deals with, um, it to, on some of the songs, my experience with child abuse and how that really shaped a lot of my emotional reactions, my interpersonal life, and even my relationship with music and in mm -hmm. ways that I'm still unpacking and like starting to unpack for the first time in many ways. And it's like prevented me from digging deep in some of these other like truths about myself. So the first song is like, I'm not all that gender stuff. I'm not sure I can like deal with it for myself right now because I'm still working on these other earlier things that are taking precedence. So yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm constantly asking myself questions about who I am and what lineage I'm in as a songwriter and as a person um, through music. And I feel, as I'm sure you do, like very grateful that I can use art as this tool to ask myself these questions and maybe not get to an answer, but at least... Um, have some more of the picture filled out. Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I'd listen to primarily like dude music too, and I never really thought of it as that. And so when I started writing songs, I was just like, I am the same inside. Like I am yeah. writing these same things. And I'm then, just a person and a songwriter, but... <laughs> yeah, and then you get the But world. I'm not writing about randomly murdering women or <laughs> some of the other stuff that's in the... Yeah, or yeah. like the extreme sexual fantasy thing wasn't really my vibe or you know <laughs> uh but like 
I mean, which is not to say I don't love a lot of extreme sexual fantasy music. Shout out Liz Fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she doesn't. She does it from a different way. She Definitely. Does it from, she does it. But uh, yeah, I do think and that she's the, also like very much a scholar of art history and, and is is doing exactly what she's like the a, a prototype for exactly what we're talking about. Which yeah. She's writing in response to the canon of like male rock. It's a weird thing. It's a it's a weird thing. There's not a lot. Of, I guess. I don't know. I I wouldn't change anything um, about the music I listened to growing up. But I do sometimes wish I could have had more perspective in some way. Even though I didn't really think of it as that. Um, but maybe that's a cool thing. Is, is the world is opening up to hearing new things. Yeah, something that has been cool or was cool when I was working on this record is I did go back to a lot of that early formative rock music um, for me. And a lot of those lyrics are things I would like not be screaming from the rafters, um, but there's still things I can find to enjoy in it. And so to be able to channel some of that music in spite of, or even like in response to some of the lyrics that I now find pretty distasteful, um, it was like a reclamation of the, the, the good things it inspired in me, which is yeah. guitar playing and um, appreciation for that kind of production. And yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Okay. So I know we're coming to the time. So I'll, I'll ask yeah, you the I have question. A big, I have big plans today. I'm going, um, I read Jamie Loftus's uh, hot dog book, which is called Raw Dog. It's really good. Oh, cool. Um, and my bandmate Audrey and I are going to go. There's a place in... Philly's Reading Terminal Market that does, uh, I saw corn dogs and they do a vegan corn dog. So we're going mm. to get some vegan oh my corn God. dogs. Corn dogs are so good. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. That, I've spent that's all enough. month thinking about hot dogs. It's finally my time. That's good. That's enough to make my days if someone's like, you get a corn dog today. I'm, I'd yeah. be like, oh, damn, it's a good day. <laughs> it's um, going to be beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to ask you just quickly about the Ren in some interview. I think it was like a talk house interview. Uh, I saw that Ren you Fair? said, yeah, you said Ren Fair. Yeah. I went to a Ren Fair recently. Is that what I, is that what it was? I have no idea. You were just talking about Ren Fair imagery and I was wondering, cause I do see some f sprinklings of fantasy imagery yeah. in your lyrics. Um, I did go to a Ren Fair recently I, when I was on book tour my, uh, I was going to say my bandmate, he's not my bandmate, my friend Michael DeForge, who's another writer and illustrator, we, we toured together, and we wound up going to the, the Ren Fair outside of D.C., which is one of the biggest ones in the country, apparently, and I had not been to a Ren Fair since I was a little kid, like, pr probably since the 90s, um, and we went, we saw Mary Timoney there, who I feel like is the archetype for, like, Ren Fair rock lyrics, um, and she definitely is a huge influence. She's a friend, I should say, but she's mm -hmm. also a, a big influence on me as a guitarist and arranger and songwriter. Um, but it, so it was just like too perfect to see her at the Red Fair because it, her lyrics are very much using, I think a lot more so than mine. Um, she is fully, or, or was at some point in her career, very into mining like these fantasy um, tropes as like reflections of her personal narrative. So she did really interesting stuff with that. Um, I am not a big fantasy fan um, in really any, like I don't love fantasy books or movies or anything, but I do love horror and I love occult things. So that's what I must be. There's like a little on. bit. Of, I think 
there is some fantasy occultism crossover. Um, you talk I, about witches yeah. and... Yes. But that's not fantasy. That's real life. Which Witches are... <laughs> I mean, that's true. I believe that too. <laughs> I believe that too. Okay, cool. Well, very nice. I'll let you go get your corn dog. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so I say like, I love witches in the occult. I'm going to get a co- vegan corn dog right now. <laughs> That's that's a great combo of things to me. Yeah. Um, do you? Okay. So let's just say your album or Speedy Ortiz album, yeah. Rabbit Rabbit, is out September first, right? Yep. Rabbit okay. Rabbit. Okay. Cool. And this song Scabs is on it that we discuss a bit. So check it out and then go get a corn dog. <laughs> can I, wait? Right. Can I say one more thing about the the voice memo? You can say yeah, whatever you like. So I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea that existed when I, I sent you, I sent, um, my publicist the demo to send to you and I, I kept notes. I've kept like really weird, confusing notes on all the songs. So I know like what color I wore that day I was mm. working on it. But I also wrote down like what number voice memos I had pulled from. So I was like, is there one in here? And there was. Um, so when I, I wrote this song, my memory of it I'm sure everybody listening knows that the pandemic was incredibly difficult for mail carriers and postal workers, and there Mm. were a number of budgetary cuts and managerial decisions that were widely contested by both um, mail carriers' unions. It was just like the the government was making it very difficult for those workers to get what they needed done, to do it safely, to um, have the correct pay and resources. And um, in the midst of all this... I was at the post office waiting in line to pick up my, you know, package or something. And people were just like berating the person working. Oh, God. So that, that's what I wrote the song about. Um, and I was shocked that like in the midst of that, I had, I really didn't remember. I, I would have thought I had gone out to my car or like waited till I got home. But apparently I had it so quickly that I'm, you could hear I'm in line in like an echoing room and children are screaming and stuff. Oh, yeah, um, I could hear rustling. So yeah, I, was very, and like, yeah. <laughs> I was very surprised to find that I had literally, I knew I thought of it in the post office, but I didn't think I had recorded anything there, but I did. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I blocked guess- it out because I was so mad, I guess. <laughs> You can do, it's the worst thing to see people going after people in, in jobs like that. Yep. It's the worst thing ever. It's yep. just like, you know, summer <laughs> of 2021, yeah. you know, we support essential workers and uh, unless we have to wait 20 minutes to <laughs> get stamps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good solidarity. Oh <laughs> God. Anyway, that was my final note. I was just like shocked to find that existed. So thank you for giving me an excuse to dig into my files. Yeah, of course. I guess the message to people all around is, is um, don't be afraid to record in the post office. I don't know. Yeah, or, and also don't places. be afraid to be cool to workers. You don't be, yeah, don't be afraid to be a good person. <laughs> Doesn't matter if your day is running 10 minutes late. Mine is, yeah. and I'm still going to get a, a vegan corn dog. So yeah. take that to heart. <laughs> there we go. Well, thank you so, so much. Yeah, it was really fun chatting with you. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. All right, have a good one. You too. Okay, bye. Okay, so I ended that like a phone call, but now I will (laughs) not do that. And I will say this is the first ever episode of Song Miner, and I want to thank everybody for listening because it's exciting and it's scary. 
I've done music for, God, over 10 years now, so it's very weird to be new at something like this. So I want to thank everybody for coming on this journey in a way with me of being new at something. <laughs> I also want to thank my amazing producer of the podcast, Bronwyn Ford. Bronwyn sorts it all out. She walks me like a dog. She is very organized and I'm so grateful to her for being involved in this. I edited this podcast myself and the rock sounds in the beginning, the pounding rocks like in a mine, were done by my friend Alonso. So, and he has an amazing podcast called Soft Sticks Radio. If you guys want something that's more of a lush audio experience. Anyways, thank you so much. I'm Alaska Reed. Y'all can listen to my music or continue listening to the podcast. We have some very fun episodes coming up. Thank you so much. Goodbye.